0: Well, this morning, we are continuing with the attributes of God, knowing God, and I want us to reflect on the incomprehensibility of God, our inability to comprehend fully, exhaustively uh, God, and, you know, when I came in this morning, you know, and Derek's in the office, and I I said, with the uh, postponement of this meeting, while a lot of us were really, uh, not disappointed, but we were emotionally and spiritually ready for for this meeting, and I I just said, you know, God is in control. We don't know what this extra time means. And, And Derek said, yeah, God is incomprehensible. We don't know always the ways of God. And I go, oh. Hey, did you know that's what I'm preaching on? He knew that. The incomprehensibility of God. You know, uh, I chose this when he gave us a list and asked us to choose because I, I recognize really the incomprehensibility of God is more about us than it is about God. Uh, at least that's how I am challenged as I think about it. The incomprehensibility of God. An atheist was once vehemently proclaiming his truth that there is no God. He was asked by a child if he knew everything in the world that there was to know. His dismissive reply was, of course not. It's impossible to know everything. But her quick retort was, well, maybe God is in the part that you do not know. Today, that's what we're going to reflect on, the incomprehensibility of God. And here's the definition that I'm working from. The glorious triune God of Scripture is in a category all by Himself, and that as such, He is unfathomable in His nature, His knowledge, and works. However, due to His gracious self-disclosure in general and special Revelation. We can know the incomprehensible God truly, but never fully or exhaustively. It's good to know it's up there. I don't see it up there, which is okay. So that's the working definition I use as a backdrop, uh, coupled with Scripture. So this morning, we are going to reflect on this attribute of God, his incomprehensibility, and this morning I'm breaking it in three parts. What it is not, what it is, and then we're going to end by some practical application and actually uh, invite you to practice. First, what it is not, the incomprehensibility of God. It does not mean he is not knowable. It doesn't mean he is unknowable. God is comprehensible. God is incomprehensible and knowable. The whole storyline of the Bible is God revealing Himself to mankind so that we can know Him, so that eventually, as His intent at the garden, that eventually, with sin, someday in the future, we will dwell with Him. So He wants to make Himself known to us. He makes a covenant with Abraham so that he will be made known, not just to Abraham, but to his entire offspring, and through his offspring that the whole world will come to know this God. So even though he is incomprehensible, he has revealed himself, and he's knowable. He's made himself known through Jesus Christ. Hebrews 1, to 1-3. Long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. This Jesus Christ is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. God has made himself known through Jesus Christ. John eight nineteen tells us, if you knew me, Jesus Christ speaking, you would know God the Father. So when we talk about God's incomprehensibility, it's not saying that God is not knowable. But what is it then? What it is. God is ultimately incomprehensible to us. That is, we can never fully, exhaustively comprehend his whole being. I want us to really reflect and really appreciate, think about the great challenge of this infinite God. This God, I will talk about, is in a category all of of himself, and he's going to try to convey, make himself known to his creation. Humans. Think what a great challenge that this uh, will pose. and We we see this in Exodus 8. So turn in your Bibles. And let's look at Exodus 8. This is where the plagues and... Moses is being the spokesperson to invite, uh, uh, to go to Pharaoh to tell and ask to let his people go. And Pharaoh's stubbornness of heart, hardness of heart, we have these plagues that come upon them. And that first plague is the Nile and the turning it to blood. And the Nile was the life source of Egypt, Egypt, this powerful nation. And still, uh, Pharaoh would not allow them to go. And here in verse, uh, chapter 8, we have the frogs. The frogs. That they're going to not just inhabit the, the rivers, but they're going to come from all over and just dominate in their beds and uh, in their houses. And we have here in verse 8, join me, um, chapter 8, verse 8 of Exodus Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Pray to the Lord to take the frogs away from me and my people, and I will let your people go to offer sacrifices to the Lord. See, Pharaoh uh, didn't object to Moses having this God And he would have been even apt to allow them to go and worship and do their own thing. Because in Pharaoh's mind, because of the Egyptian culture, they had multiple gods. They had 700 to 2,000 gods. And this was one among many gods in Pharaoh's mind. But now... Moses is going to introduce to Pharaoh that you have a category for gods. You have a preconception of what God is. I'm going to reintroduce a different category. Pharaoh is cool with, with uh, gods and Hebrew having their own god. And so look here with me at verse 10. Well, let me just read through the whole story here as we get to verse 10. You know, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron. I'm looking now at Exodus 8, reading 8 through 10. Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Pray to the Lord to take the frogs away from me and my people, and I will let your people go to offer sacrifices to the Lord. Moses said to Pharaoh, I leave to you the honor of setting the time for me to pray for you and your officials and your people that you and your houses may be rid of the frogs except for those that remain in the Nile. Tomorrow, Pharaoh said. Moses replied, It will be as you say, so that... It will be as you say, so that, and here comes the kicker, so that you may know there is no one, there is no one like the Lord our God. Moses is telling Pharaoh, in your mind, when I say God, you think in categories and you put our God alongside the likes of Ra, Cyrus, Nubus, Seth, Ptah, just several of the thousands that they would have been accustomed to. What I'm telling you, there is none like our God. Our God is in a category all by himself. God is not like anything or anybody. You cannot draw comparisons to our God because once you do, you make Him less than God. One person said, when you think you have God figured out, it is not God that you have figured out. We are dependent on bridges that take us from the known to the unknown. We do that through ideas that we call analogical language, where we draw a comparison and we use words like like, as, or the appearance of. It's not possible for the mind to crash suddenly past the familiar into the totally, the totally, the one of a kind, Unfamiliar. If there is no one like God, he is in a category all by himself, and analogical language becomes useless. In fact, to use analogical language, you know, the comparison to like and as, can lead to idolatry. We can use analogical language to kind of get our handle uh, to understand God as he has revealed himself, and we do that, and we take that analogical language as far as appropriate in light of what's been revealed to us, but not beyond. So w- what, what are you going to do if there is no one like God? God. And you come to that point where you use revelation and you grapple with an understanding of God, but then you come to that point where he's far bigger and you don't have words for it. We will not craft God into the image of another God. I don't think we would do that, like make a golden calf or Buddha or whatever other gods that might be out there. We would not craft him into an image like that, but what we will do is domesticate God, what they call domestication of God, to make God manageable, controllable, measurable. We may create a God in our image, that God is nothing more than a bigger, better version of myself. If I have love, then God is just more loving. If I have power, then God is just more powerful. If I have knowledge, then God just has more knowledge. We have created in the image of God. We are created. We are created in the image of God, but we try to create God into our image. God is a different type of being altogether. He is an absolute, an infinite being. We are not. There is none like him. He is in a class of his own. You know, it's at this point, analogical language, trying to compare God to something else fails. It's time to stop talking and simply stand in a fearful respect. Thinking of the incomprehensibility of God reminded me of the Chronicles of Narnia, particularly where Susan is introduced to Aslan, the lion, the representation of Jesus Christ in Narnia. And Aslan, uh, uh, the dialogue goes, Aslan is a lion, she's told. The great lion. Oh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. Something that is tame has been domesticated. It's predictable. It can be managed, manipulated, controlled, or taught. Although he's not tamed or fully comprehensible, God is good. The children in Narnia come to realize that Aslan the lion is good, and so it does not matter. It does not matter that he's not tame. If we genu- genuinely believe that God is good, we can trust everything, even that which we cannot comprehend the God we are called on to trust can be unpredictable in that bad things happen to good people we pray prayers and they're not answered the way I think they ought to be answered God can be unpredictable But he's awesome. Do you want a tame, domesticated God? Or do you want an awesome God? A powerful God that exceeds your power? A a God that exceeds your ability to comprehend and know? Or do you want a safe God that's domesticated? Can you only trust God to the degree that you comprehend him? Or does knowing the goodness of God and embracing this attribute and all the other attributes that we know about God actually actually help you come to appreciate his incomprehensibility because it provides you an intrigue It provides you a mystery, an excitement, that it goes beyond the little confines of your own mind. Because we rest in Scripture, all things work together for good. The practical application... Let's allow the incomprehensibility of God to stun us to the point it awakens us to authentic worship. Use words as far as they will take you, but recognize even that words are a tool. And when it comes to the incomprehensibility of God, the words can only take you so far. Sometimes, speechlessness speaks louder than words. It's then worship by standing or sitting or kneeling in stunned silence, in amazement, in respectful fear and reverence is the only appropriate response. May you discover greater delight and intrigue in God because he is incomprehensible, May you be okay with not having to comprehend, but to rest in his goodness. This morning we're going to have a season to butt up against this, a little bit of tension. Um recognizing words are important. Words are how God has revealed himself, his son, but also through the print and word. word. So words are certainly important, but there's a tension then when we start to try to contemplate this incomprehensible God that exceeds and goes beyond words that we don't have a vocabulary for. Trying to comprehend God with man-made words What came to my mind, and I'm using analogical language now, shows you how much we use it, but trying to comprehend God with man-made words is kind of like trying to ride a horse. You may ride the horse as far as it can go, as far as the horse is capable, as far as the terrain allows the horse to go, but you must know when you have to dismount. And there you stand. And there you stand. Use words, God's revelation to us. Study to know all you can, but understand there comes a time you must dismount when you realize that this God is in a category by himself. And even our words will do him a disservice. And it's when we stand there, we're not talking about God revealing something new to you. His revelation has been complete in His Son and in Scripture. But it's really just the opposite. It's not looking for a new revelation. You know, in that point of stunned silence, when I realize that God is beyond my ability to comprehend, it's not as though I'm looking for a new revelation, but I'm trying to... Worship authentically God as He in reality he is. Not a domesticated God. Being okay and not knowing or comprehend all of God, knowing he is good, operating consistently with what he has already revealed through his son and his words. Learn to be okay there. Learn to be okay there. In fact, learn to find delight there. Learn to find delight not fully comprehending God. As you butt up against it, may you just stand there in amazement. Uh, without words, because there are no words. Ah, a fear a respectful fear, an intrigue, an excitement, or a wonder. I asked Matt and whoever else he's invited, you can come on up now, Matt, and we're going to put some uh, scriptures up that really reflect the incomprehensibility of God, our inability to fathom. God, and there are about four different scriptures, and especially the part where I underline, and it gets to uh, where it is really uh, trying to convey that God goes beyond your uh, mental capability to comprehend, Uh, and that's where I invite you, you know, Matt's just going to play music, whatever Matt's going to do, your job is to just reflect on it to reflect on it and see what what God uh, wants to teach and that we would just enter and close here. We're closing uh, with uh, this time of worship. So, Father, God, sometimes we lose sight of who's all-powerful and incomprehensible. Our egos are pretty big and uh, cry out For more than what you created us to be. Help us to get a healthy perspective again. Stir us.